0: Welcome to China Chit Chat, the show that brings you new and unique perspectives on China. China Chit Chat is a new weekly podcast where we interview guests who each have their own interesting takes on various aspects of Chinese culture, business, politics and history. Put together, we hope to provide our audience with a fresh perspective on the real China. China Chit Chat is brought to you by ADN Import Foods, and Opportunity China, ADN Import Foods provides an end-to-end solution for food and drink companies from around the world to help them enter and grow in the massive but challenging China market. Opportunity China is for university graduates looking to kickstart a global career. Graduates from any academic background or university can apply and all participants are trained and prepared to start teaching in China within a couple of months of finishing university. Today, we interview Alistair Warwick Nelson. Alistair is a former butler settled in China for over 10 years. He runs his own business as an etiquette coach. We speak to Alistair about his experiences teaching British etiquette in China, what drives demand for his business, the profile of his customers, and cultural misunderstandings between East and West. Alistair has a very deep understanding of Chinese culture and shares his perspectives on what each culture gets right and wrong about each other. This episode is a must-listen for anyone with an interest in cultural exchange. We hope you enjoy the episode. I
1: um, I identified a, a bit of an aha moment because I was talking to some people, and um, and they were quite unsure of um, how to um, how to be socially skilled when they were visiting foreign countries. Um, in the fact that, you know, the conversation basically went like, have you been to, to Europe or London? Yes. And, oh, well, you know, did you try some of the famous restaurants and hospitality that there is? And they said, well, basically went to, to Chinatown and ate Chinese food. And I thought, why? You know, uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, the Chinese food in Chinatown is great. Yes. Um, but then, you know, through the, the throes of the conversation, it's uh, we discovered that people weren't particularly confident. In their, um, in their ability to, uh, to kind of navigate Western menus and, and order Western food in Western restaurants. So that kind of made me think, mm, there's a real kind of need to, um, to push some of this uh, social education uh, here in China. So spending a, quite a bit of time as to, because obviously, no, you know, China China's got, you know, X thousands of years of history uh, and a very complex social code of its own. Um, so obviously if I turned up in, in Beijing and said like, you know, oh, you know, this is what we do in uh, in Europe and, and that's far superior to what you do in China, that's really going to upset people a lot. So what I tended to, what I, my approach was really to look at the similarities between uh, Chinese and Western etiquette, and look at where the crossovers were, um, and then basically just enhance the great etiquette skills that uh, the Chinese people already have. Uh, and also, you know, to be able to equip the emerging uh, generations coming through, the Generation Zs and the, and the Millennials, et cetera, um, you know, and... Not necessarily, not necessarily in like old fashioned stuffy etiquette, but kind of put the the traditional rules into a more modern language and make them more uh, acceptable towards the the modern domain.
0: So that's more kind of it's not really you know ladies walking around balancing books on their head. it's more you know cross-cultural training.
1: Well, we do, we do do that because obviously, yeah. you know, balancing books on head is, is great for posture, for great for posture training. Uh, and of course, you know, nowadays in, in the realms that we're in, you know, people are very digitally connected. Every, almost everybody works on a laptop. And of course, you'll know yourself if you work on a laptop, there's a, there's a tendency to, you know, sort of like not have a very good posture. So you may end up quite round-shouldered, etc. Um, and also, you know, a lot of confidence comes from having good posture as well. You see, so you know, they, they, yes, I mean, it does sound a bit Downton Abbey, you know, bal- people balancing books on their heads and doing, you know, um, you know, sticking poles down people's backs and all those crazy things that people do. But it does actually have a defined benefit. Um, I mean, I, I know back in the day, the, the Ivor Spencer um, Butler School used to have butlers actually balancing real wine glasses on their heads. Uh, well, obviously, you know, the bottom of a wine glass is pretty flat. Most people don't have a flat head. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually trying to, trying to balance a, a glass on, on the top of your head is pretty hard uh it's not that easy with a book either to be honest um but it does obviously teach people to to sort of you know regulate their pace and be sort of quite serene and quite controlled in their movements so it it does have its defined advantages for sure um and likewise you know when it comes to things like sitting etc you know there's obviously right ways and wrong ways to to sit you know if you've seen things like you know movies like Princess Diaries, etc., where the, the young lady in there is sort of sitting legs akimbo and you know, um, not being particularly ladylike, if you will. Um, you know, sort of you know, teaching people you know how to uh how to adopt, uh, especially you know, when you look at people like um Catherine, uh, Duchess of Cambridge, mm-hmm. you know, her sort of seating posture is very controlled, it's sort of like knees together. In a in a seating position, or you know, a a a derivative, what we call the Duchess slant, which is towards an angle slightly. So you know, as I said, these things they do have a, a defined benefit for people for sure.
0: So I know that you you previously you mentioned the kind of Butler experience there, Butler School, and I know that you did actually previously work as a Butler for a super high net worth. Emirati family, which I think, you know, many people might have assumed that the way of the British butler or the British butler went the way of the British chimney sweep and and wasn't uh, not not something that is uh, that we associate with with, um, you know, the modern world. But I guess, you know, there still is a market out there, but as far as I'm aware, this market never found popularity in China, despite quite a bit of press, maybe, you know, five or more years ago about British butlers going to China, but never quite stuck with the Chinese super rich. So why is that?
1: Well, for sure. I mean, I mean, certainly, you know, the butler, the butler industry has probably never been busier. You know, most butler trainers are busy. Um, so you know that's a great thing because you know the, the 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 prestige of having a butler now is within more people's reach. Of course, um, some people tend. A lot of people are obviously tended to see the advantages of having a, a butler. Obviously, it's not within. It's not something that everybody would have a need for, and it's not something that everybody would particularly want. Um, but for those who um, Who appreciate that kind of service, if you will? Um, You know, it it does uh, free obviously. uh, It does free up a a lot of people's time Um, because you know uh, butlering can take in a whole range of different skill sets. You know, it can uh, obviously by obviously you're um, uh, answerable to a principal, Um, but you know, it can range from. I mean, uh, uh, most most uh butlers nowadays are probably like uh, uh, household or estate managers right. you know so they're basically look after the running of a household and the principal is free to run their business interests or or whatever else they they wish to do um so why did it not particularly take on in china um well it's I say it's the the back in Probably about five or six years ago, there was quite a lot of Western butlers came to China on on good salaries, very good salaries, actually, because um, China, you know, Chinese people there were starting to wield some of their wealth, because, as, as you know, you know, some some Chinese people are fabulously wealthy and. Right. Um, and they obviously wanted some of the trappings and, and the prestige that went and commensurate with that level of wealth that they had. Um, why it didn't work out, is very difficult to actually pinpoint in terms of one particular reason as to why. Um, you know, some ways, uh, you know, a lot of people kind of saw that you know the butler was like the the Downton Abbey um, role model, that the, and obviously, you know, Downton Abbey is very very well known here in China. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, that gives people a throwback to a, to a to a quite a long and distant uh, historical era, which of course is not commonplace now. You see, you know, especially when you know the gentlemen uh, would wear things like you know dinner suits or or mess suits for for army officers. <laughs> You know, uh, it's not, um, you know, it's a nice uh, illusionary world, if you will. Um, But, of course, that's not particularly common now. Um, Although, um, for the butlers, uh, I say, when when I talk about, you know, principles, butlers tend to free up a lot of principles' time. So they tend to be very... Uh, very highly connected to their principles. Um, obviously, there's a lot of, uh, they're, they're obviously confidants as well, you know, because a lot of things that they see or uh, or the conversations that, that butlers hear are, you know, privy between them and their principles and they're obviously not for public broadcast to all in sundry you know because yeah. obviously some of those <laughs> some of the things that people see or hear could very quickly you know bring down their principle uh, in in uh, quite rapidly so you know those are the kind of things that are not for sharing and and therefore you know t- Chinese people tend to be very private in terms of their personal affairs um you know some of the business affairs tend to be quite complex if you will um, so then it was quite difficult to be able to find a, a, a point as to you know, where the butler can be involved and where the butler is actually starting to become a, an inconvenience because the, the principal is wanting to keep certain things private. But some of those things that the principal wants to keep private are certain matters that the butler might need to know to be able to perform their job effectively as a butler would. inverted commas you know so that's why there's still a a little bit of a a crossover um and likewise you know when you look at things like butlers in china now yes you know a lot of hotels and that do offer butler services you know saint regis is a very famous brand uh for for butler service but they do tend to be in room or stroke hotel butlers you know, so they're doing things like spa service. You know, running baths, suitcases, and those kind of um, add-on extras in in terms of a, a hospitality service in a in a in a hospitality domain. You
0: know, well, I guess there's. You know, it's not unusual for. I mean, for Chinese. Families. I'm I'm not talking about super rich. I'm talking about anybody with a bit of, you know, independent means, shall we say, to hire, um, to have hired help, whether that, you know, an IE or someone doing the cooking or something like that. But is what you're saying, there's kind of a bit of a, a culture clash, perhaps, in terms of what what the butler, which is seems very prestigious, I guess, from things like Downton Abbey and, and you know, anybody who's a new rich around the world would want to be like the British aristocracy, don't they? That's kind of like the, as many well, people it. Yeah, please. yeah, you've
1: hit them right on the head because, yes, you know, in Chinese families, you know, they very, very often have this ai as it's called, which is obviously a Chinese word for an aunt or house, housemaid, if you will. You right. know, there's a, there's, a, a, there's a few different tabs that you could attach onto, onto that uh, all-encompassing umbrella. Um, but, of course, the IE tends to, you know, sometimes they'll look after children, mm. whereas sometimes, you know, they may end up washing clothes or they may be doing a myriad of different tasks under this IE banner, mm. uh, obviously, as well as cooking food, etc. Well, obviously, when it comes to butlering, you know the the a butler is more, like I say, like a management role, really. So you know the the, the butler would manage the chef, who would mm-hmm. do the cooking. The butler would manage like the the laundry or the the, the housekeeping kind of people who would look after the clothing and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and likewise, you know, the butler may well obviously be uh, be working alongside the nanny who would be looking at looking after the children. So, unfortunately, you know, Chinese people kind of saw these butlers as like, uh, yes, you know, we can get this really professional housekeeper. But, of course, you know, a lot of the skill sets were, were they're not actually under a butler's remit. You know, a uh, butler's remit is more, um, let's say, household management or uh, things like service and, and hospitality, really. So, yeah, it is. It, I mean, not to say that it, it won't happen at some stage, you know, right. You know, China, China's evolving and developing at, at, at an incredible pace, as you well know. Mm-hmm. Um, and likewise, you know, Chinese people have a, a means and ability to be able to afford just about every luxury brand you could, could wish to name, can't they? And of course, you know, now they're very keen on things like acquisition, um, you know, so buying vineyards and buying, you know, uh, prestigious property, and, uh, and and I mean, yachting is yachts are are a big uh, a big investment thing for Chinese people now. So it stands to reason, at some point, you know, the 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 market will adapt to to fit into the the butler's kind of remitten, you know, the skill set and the expectation will gradually fuse into something that be- makes it become a viable proposition, you know. But
0: not yet,
1: I guess. Um... Well, I say it's still materialising because, mm. you know, um, I mean, it doesn't help, you know, the, 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 the general attitude towards service in China is still very high context, you know, yeah. so, you know, service people are generally not very well respected, if you will, for want yeah. of a better word. Um, so <laughs> it's um, like I said, that's something I mean, but again, it, it's gradually improving. I mean, I've been in Beijing 10 years um, and I've seen, you know, the, 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 the hospitality and the food and beverage um, the footprint here improved dramatically. Mm. Um, I mean, when I first came here, we used to have uh, you, you've obviously you know the jianbing, don't you, which is like a, an egg. Very um, familiar.
0: Very familiar. Yeah, pancake. <laughs> cause a lot of um, weight gain when I lived in Beijing. Have one of those. Yeah. In <laughs> so I
1: say, you know, they were they were. I mean, they're you know they're a standard um, kind of local um, delicacy. Um, and at one time they used to be everywhere in Beijing. You know, you've got little street corner sellers in in a range of different outlets, you know, selling these gen bings for people to basically buy on their way to work. Um, and nowadays, you know, we've got um, we've got a good smidgen of uh, Michelin uh, representation now. Um, you know, more than one hotel is featuring in the Forbes um. You know, they're getting Forbes five-star listings um, in terms of not only the, the hotel facilities, um, but also the, um, you know, the, the service offerings, etc that are available within those uh, establishments. Um, so you can see that the bar is starting to progressively uh, move up uh, in, in, of course, in the right way. Um so like I say it's just one of those things. It's a bit like if 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 you if you like excuse the adage, it's a bit of a work in progress, if you will, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it will it will get there. You
0: know? Yeah, and and turning to your your business then, so you've been uh, I think running your own own business teaching etiquette for about six years, right? And what's kind yes. of worldwide? Yeah, and and what so what's driving this? demand in china and and what are your chinese customers most interested in
1: well uh sam i mean I, I used to own my own uh training brand but i actually closed that down uh, last year um a very good friend of mine
0: uh, sorry i say yeah yeah your, your boys just so, uh, 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 we'll probably just start that uh, again i i can oh well, anthony I, I guess you haven't asked anything yet so how about we just pause and then maybe you can ask yeah. i think you i think you're, your your lab needs to be like a couple of meters behind the the screen.
2: He's welcome to join the call well, Yeah, right. yeah, Unless he's got anything he wants he's to add, to, of course.
1: Yeah. He's, he's trying to
0: muscle in. Come
1: on, guys. <laughs> along, Hello. Hello. Hi, how, how are you doing?
0: You. What's your name? My name is Matt. Matt, brilliant. Same name as my brother. How old are you, Matt? How old are you, Max?
2: Max Max. I eight. Eight, good stuff. So you're yeah. born in Beijing, Max. Yeah, he's Chinese. Wow. Yeah.
1: Amazing. Beijing Run. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Max, you
2: need <laughs> yeah. <Yeah>. Baba <Huh>? Ma? <laughs> 是, 書,
0: my Chinese is good.
2: What's your name,
1: Baba? Yes. Very good. he's also my free translator. <laughs> <laughs> Firstly, yeah, but before his, uh, before his toy budget gets absolutely trashed, then he becomes a translator free of charge. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, just find out the way Tiger, please. I need to speak to these two guys. Yo, let's move. Go back in there. Go back in there. So oh, yeah, mate. Just scream it. Just let me move the camera out of so, the way a minute. <sighs> Unfortunately, the, uh, the the iPad is in direct line of the uh, the Death Star. So, I've gone, and you go on that side. Okay, sorry about that. Let's start again.
2: That's all right, Anthony. Yeah, you, you take uh, the question away. Um, yeah. So, your etiquette business. How did you get started with that? Did you have big challenges? Um, and how, how's that going?
1: Yeah. It's um, it's one of those things. It's kind of it, it kind of peaks and troughs. And um, and the thing is, when it comes to uh, to etiquette. Um, you know, that's just generally how the industry is. It's a niche market anywhere in the world, you know, um, you know, obviously, you, you, you know, if you're in London, you'll know, you know, the the likes of William Hansen um, and Diana Mather from uh, English, uh, English Manor, you know, and they are obviously, you know, it's a, it's, it's a peak and trough demand uh, market. That's just how it is. Although, um, you know, the, the, China, China's kind of it's gone through a bit of a a, a, a bit of a, a, a mixed period when it comes to things like etiquette training. Um, about five or six years ago, there was a lady who was uh, who basically launched—you could almost say—the mother of etiquette in China. Um, but she launched a very uh, well-received program, um, based basing here in Beijing. And she was charging like it was about eighty thousand RMB for I think it was ten days training. You know, it was it was hugely
0: expensive. Yeah, expensive.
1: Um, expensive. So well, yeah, and, and she kind of set the the benchmark, if you will, and she was very successful for a period of time. Because she 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 obviously she she got very good guanxi. Um, her uh, her family were are st- they're still around a uh, wealthy uh, uh, Hong Kong family, and she had great smarts. You know she'd been to Princeton and one or two other uh, Ivy League type uh, universities. So she got a great starting block, um, and, and was successful by all means. Um, but then. For some reason, that model, the, the the peak kind of went off that kind of model, if you will. Now, um, and as to why, I'm not particularly sure. I don't think it was anything that they particularly did wrong in, in inverted commas. Um, I just think there was a bit of a dynamic shift in the market. Um, and then there was—I uh, don't know if you ever—if um, you've ever come across a, a lady who went by the name of Miss Dally, June Dally Watkins from Australia. Mm-hmm. She was quite successful in uh, in southern China, around the uh, Guangzhou area, and she was doing lots and lots of lots of work. Um, she unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago, um, but she had a, a, a colleague who was continuing on some of her work and, and still does. But on a very much reduced scale. Uh, but he kind of he kind of approaches etiquette more from the um, through things like the the emotional side, the EQ and the, the EI elements, which of course are very important when it comes to to etiquette, because half of etiquette is practical skills, half of etiquette is your um, your um, your mindset and your desire to to self develop or improve yourself.
0: Okay,
1: sure. Uh, and again, uh, it's a uh, very uh, successful um, in terms of delivery, etc. Um, and uh, said so there's one or two other people dotted around the country. There's there's a, a French guy in Shanghai who's running uh, quite a, some successful programs. He tends to focus very heavily on things like the the book. Balancing on the head and the posture. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas I tend to really kind of focus on um, equipping people with practical skills where they can come along, they can study something today, and they can go out and use it tomorrow. Um, Because, you know, for Chinese people, um, they won't really kind of invest money into training if it's not something that they can actually put to use, you know, or or monetize.
2: You know? <laughs> yes, of course, and is that will be. Are your clients kind of are they people? Well, that of course, want to go. Abor- are they? Are these um, your clients? Are they people that want to go abroad and and feel their their etiquette level is suitable for a, a, for a Western culture, for example? Are they, are they doing it for fair,
1: business? To, to, well, to be fair, our our client base comes from a, a bit of a range of different uh, backgrounds. To be fair, um, I've had corporate clients. I've I've done training for uh, for Huawei for cross cultural. Uh, communications. Um, and that actually finally came around. Uh, I was having a casual conversation with one of their executives here in Beijing at a totally unrelated um, event. Um, and, it, and we're just casually saying, he's well, got, what do you do? I said, oh, like, I'm an etiquette and uh, protocol teacher and he's going like etiquette hmm he says can you do corporate work he goes yeah he goes well what, what do you have in mind so what's your idea he said well i said well i went to a trade show last year in uh, in silicon valley um, and just like, during the day, we were obviously, you know, um, doing all the sales and marketing and and uh, the promotion questions. And of course, you know, the evening there was networking and dinner. And and of course, the day carried on into the evening. Mm-hmm. We said, after the after the day's activity, all well, my team went back to the hotel and crashed out and went to bed. And all the senior managers were having to basically field all the networking. Yeah. <laughs> So he said, obviously, there's a very defined need in, you know, people being able to understand, uh, you know, different uh, cultures and, and expectations. Um, and also, you know, how to make introductions about themselves rather than just present somebody a business card and, you know, stump. That's it. They're, they're, not, they're not offering anything else behind the business cards. Right, yeah. so, that, so, I mean, that wasn't a particularly long program. It was only a day. Um, but obviously, it gave them a bit of uh, background and a bit of uh, insight as to, to, you know, obviously how to assert themselves and how to, and gave them some social skills that they're so confidently, um, you know, get, teaching them things like arts of small talking, you know, how to small talk, how to open conversations, um, how to pitch without being intimidating. Um, so, you know, some of those soft skills, which are obviously very important when it comes to things like trade shows and, and marketing your company, obviously, when, it, when you're in the realms of a global leader now as, uh, as, as Huawei are, you know um so that's one dimension which we've uh, which we've done uh, which we've done work with us i've done work with um people, students who are heading towards foreign universities mm-hmm. uh, and their parents want them to have some social skills to be able to equip themselves when they arrive at, at university you know obviously they know how to dine and then they know some of the some of the soft skills that they're going to need in a foreign climate um, so, you know, that can obviously, you know, um, range from, uh, you know, simple, you know, introductions, how to obviously speak to their professors, you know, because obviously in China, they would just WeChat the professor, you know, <laughs> yeah. if, if you do that in Oxford and Cambridge, don't be upset when the, when the professor doesn't reply, not that you, fight, not that you would have his WeChat anyway. <laughs> Uh, but of course, you know, these are these are kind of real cultural differences, which are, are obstacles for people to, to overcome and understand why. Not to say that it's not going to happen, but the reason why your professor is not immediately coming back to you. Um, and of course, you know, Chinese people now with the with the, the digital realm that are in, they expect everything instantaneously. Mm. Um, and then if it's not, then they start complaining, you know, which, I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, services, you know, if people are in a service environment, they need to react to, to uh, customer demands, but it may not necessarily, you know, um, arrive before you've even thought about ordering it.
0: <laughs> uh, I don't think most university professors, you know, self-define as being in a service environment as well. So no, you're, you're usually not. lucky to you get an email in two weeks from those guys.
1: Correct, correct. And that's why I say, you know, the the, the the students who are heading into those domains, they need to understand that, you know, before, mm. otherwise they're, they're going to be, um, you know, um, but they, they need to plan it up, plan it obviously into their study programmes as well, you yeah. see. So I've done that. Um, I've done some work with uh, embassies and, and diplomats, you know, things like uh, dining like a diplomat and um, uh, a, a kind of soft skills when it comes to um, what do we do for embassy people No, that was, that's mostly been things like dining programs and um, networking and, and those kind of things mm. um, so and obviously private clients which have been uh, predominantly more ladies admittedly um, but we, we, we do ladies uh, ladies are obviously our forte just because of the, the climate you know um but we also we've also been successful with children and ch- uh, parent and child together um because we found you know that uh the children would come along and uh, and learn some skills which are obviously quite new to them mm-hmm. um, and then they go home and of course you know in china you know very often children are looked after not necessarily directly by parents but maybe their grandparents or or an ie as we said before
0: yeah
1: um so these children go home with these new skills, and the grandparents go, "Like well, what? are you doing that for?" And you go, "Well, you know, a teacher showed us how to do it." And they go, "Well, we don't do it like that at home." And of course, you know they spent like you know a couple of thousand RMB to come and you know learn some new skills, which have lasted about three hours. <laughs> so, and again, and the girls so the parents are upset because they're going, "What have you been teaching my child?" Goes, well, "Well, actually, I did show them what to do, but <laughs> you know, you." <laughs> so that that's, why that's why annoying. we can't well yeah but that's why we changed tact and and we what we do now is the the obviously the key um the key investment is for the child but what we do is we offer an adult place at a discounted rate uh and then obviously we can change we can train a parent or guardian along with the child uh, and obviously they can continue those skills Mm -hmm. at home and refine them and tune them and whatever because as you know yourself you know etiquette is not just learning a skill and going out and you're instantaneously an expert you know you need to practice these things and refine them and also find your own um skills that you're comfortable with as well you know
2: to go back to your um huawei clients um because i've noticed you know doing business in china often early interactions with new acquaintances can feel unnecessarily awkward sometimes um, like there's that that small talk ability um, doesn't seem to be like it is in the West, and that's not obviously everyone, but it does seem to be broadly the case. Um, and you'd have thought a company like Huawei would employ you know well qualified intelligent individuals. Um, so to be able to, what do you think it is about China? I guess that makes it difficult for people to to have that skill set.
1: I think some of it is obviously, I say, obviously, you know, in, in, in Western countries, they're more of a low context culture. You know, China, Japan, obviously, you do, you know, the the business culture in in China and Japan are very very similar. They're, they're high context, very peer led, if you will. You know, so the boss is the boss, um, you know, and, and bosses speak to bosses, and they don't necessarily speak to the the minions at the bottom of the the, the food chain, although. You know, certainly, you know, um COVID over the last year has changed. I think it it has and it will continue to change that culture quite dramatically. Because, you know, a lot of companies now, you know, they've um they've reduced their footprints. Um, more and more employees have been working from home. Um I mean, obviously, you know, <laughs> Quite a lot of employees are, are no longer there either, but um, you know. So the 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 the, the this top heavy and then not cuts uh, This top heavy um, uh, or sort of top down management ladder is is quickly having to adapt um, because you know more and more people are working remotely. So you know they, you can't necessarily. Uh, shout and scream and bawl at people in an office because they're on the end of a computer, and of course, you know the network can suddenly become very patchy and you can lose your signal. In inverted commas, it probably happens a lot <laughs> when you're getting shouted at. I imagine. <laughs> Cor- correct. Correct. Um, but also, you know, uh, you know, more and more, uh, more and more people within the management structures, you know, they've had more of an old, over- not only just an overseas education. But also, you know, their, their, their own personal education levels have got higher, you know, so they're doing like MBAs, EMBAs, um, you know, so they're having more of the, uh, the more up to date and the more fashionable management trends that are being fed in from around the world. So people are now more realizing that, you know, the old fashioned methods of, you know, the boss being the, the guy at the top of the tree and he basically pays your salary and therefore you do everything that he tells you to do per se, is kind of not really wearing that well nowadays, you know. And also, you know, the employees have also changed, um, you know, because at one time, obviously, you know, the boss basically, you know, he employed you, he paid you a salary, and and that was that. But nowadays, actually, you know, to, you know, employees now they are they're actually choosing companies and employers on, on an equal basis, as well as the employers choosing them. Um, because I was talking to a friend only last week, um, and he'd been trying to recruit an intern um, to to do some stuff in, in his relatively relatively um, established company but not particularly well known um, and and he was really struggling to find people because it was you know I'd get people come in and say like um, so obviously you know job seekers now they're doing a lot of research when it comes to potential employers uh, and, and basically if they if the employer's profile doesn't necessarily fit where the employee or prospective employee sees themselves within the next three to five years, they just won't come. It's that simple. Now, so, you know, whilst, yes, you know, employers have been more selective, employees are becoming equally selective, you know, and and also, you know, obviously in China now, a lot of people are more uh, entrepreneurial, you know, they've got quite a lot they have the benefit of wealthy parents or wealthy families so you know people can start they've got financial means to be able to be more independent they can follow their dreams they can be their own bosses or founders or whatever uh, whatever title they want to have uh, which, which is popular at that time so it's a bit of a real kind of turnaround in the um in, in the employment market in China, well, um, not just in China, but, you know, in the in the world in general. But obviously, it's more noticeable in China because things move in, in China much faster uh, yeah. than many of the, the Western countries that we're used to, you see. You know, uh, one, one boss at, uh, at a very famous Chinese property developer once described China like a train. Uh, you get on. Um, and if you get off, then don't bother looking back because the train's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I, think so. I think employment in China is it's one of those weird ones where, okay, there's obviously a ton of people. So you think, okay, it should be easy to find someone. And obviously there's a lot of talented people within that, the, that sort of mass of people. But then at the same time, as soon as, you, as soon as you get to particular, be it technical skills or any other particular thing, actually the pool of talent shrinks massively and and you have it's actually incredibly hard to find people and and this is in any walk of life I mean like for example you know went to some some award-winning gardens in Shenyang and they've got loads of laborers there to you know move stuff about and things but in terms of trained horticulturalists there really aren't enough people in China to, to for them to be able to find good people and it's the same in the corporate world yeah right
1: it's, very, it's, it's a very kind of strange skill set in China. You know, you've got lots of relatively low-skilled people who are, I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, some of them are, are, are able to produce some amazing work, mm. um, you know, and to a you know a reasonably good standard. Um, but like I say, it, it, it's like the, I don't want to sound kind of negative, but, you know, China, China always had this, culture of not, not, well, um, not quite the fake it till you make it culture, um, but like the copycat culture, you know, um, and obviously it's going to take some time for that culture to, to shake off. Um, although obviously, you know, that it will move because, you know, obviously you can, you can see that China is, is evolving and developing incredibly fast. Um. And it's certainly, if you've been, you know, watching China over any particularly, um, if you've been watching China over more recent years, you know, obviously things like the high-speed train network is probably one of the most obvious uh, signs of, you know, how how China is able to to um, uh, how China is able to uh, to adapt uh, technology. And also innovate at an incredibly fast pace. Um, that's and, and and you know, and of course, you know the, it's 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 public knowledge of 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 how much um, China is basically moving uh, every year. More and more of its people are moving out of uh, poverty um you know and and, and they're, they're actually you know being facilitated the opportunities to to realize their their china dreams if you will you know uh and and only last week you know Xi jinping was down somewhere in i think one 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 sort of mountain village area in in southern china um you know, and again, that was another community that they'd actually brought into, into civilization and, you know, people were actually starting to, you know, develop and generate income and, you know, have a much better lifestyle than they did before. So, I mean, yes, you know there's still a bit of a way to go, per se. China's a big country. It's got a lot of people. <laughs> and, and as you know, you know, a lot of them they tend to be quite remote. You know, there's people living in mountain villages and, and things like that. So, you know, the the demographics in China they're very kind of widespread, but of course you know the it, and, and of course you know China's got this fabulous wealth now that, it, that it's actually able to to sort of look at some of the, the the Marxist type policies where the country will you know provide for its people and it's doing that in a very very capable way.
0: Uh, and going back to your, your training, what is Generally, the reception to it, and you know, I think are these people who are doing it, what's driving the demand as well? Are they are they thinking that they're going to be, uh, you know, looking to attend, for example, high society events in the UK and, and elsewhere, or is it kind of more curiosity and a bit of fun? What, what's driving that? Absolutely.
1: I mean, I've done uh, I've done things like etiquette salons for people that were going to go to Royal Ascot, mm-hmm. so they wanted to understand things like you know dress cap dress codes and. You know what kind of hats, etc., that they would need to, um, to to choose and select for Royal Ascot. Um, obviously, you know more and more people are moving into um, into sort of different different echelons of society, not only just in China but also in Western countries. So they want to know how to equip themselves and also be able to be able to uh, assert themselves on an equal playing field. You know, they don't want to be seen as the guest from China. They want to be able to, um, to, to demonstrate, you know, an equal, um, social skill level as their, their Western counterparts, which of course is admirable because, you know, I'd say, you know, China's got this long history of, uh, of etiquette in itself. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they can obviously bring in those, uh, Oriental nuances, um, but then obviously, you know, be able to understand the social expectations that they would have when they go to travel, which, of course, you know, um, if, if there's one thing it can do, etiquette is is one of those areas. It crosses borders in just about every area that it touches. You know, it's a very um, it's it's a very kind of universal language. Uh, but of course, obviously, it got a lot of um international or localized nuances that people would need to refine. Um, but of course, then obviously what we're doing, we're giving Chinese people more confidence in which to be able to go and, and actually explore and, and appreciate their travel more by um, by actually integrating more with the, within the localized culture that they're visiting as well, you see. Mm. So we, for instance you know when people go to Paris you know we want them to be able to instead of just going to Paris and going to Chinatown and ordering Chinese food we want we want them to be able to you know go to uh to to the to the nice restaurants and things like that you know uh, yeah. around um, you know things like the the gallery of Lafayette or the uh, the Paris opera areas etc you know, and and be able to order food, and also to be able to entertain their friends, etc., that they invariably are travelling with or family, um, and like that's the you know giving them some ability that they can do that in in most cities within the world, be it London, be it Rome, wherever you know.
0: And have you got any feedback from anybody who, you know, they have perhaps, they've watched maybe a bit too much Downton Abbey and Harry Potter and have a, a particular view of what the UK is going to be like, and then that view is, is perhaps not, not um, what's the word I'm looking for, not, not vindicated when they or validated when they actually come to, to Britain after your classes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, te- well, yeah,
1: people do tend to have this little bit of an, an old-fashioned viewpoint when it comes to etiquette. Which is which is not a bad thing because of course you know when you when you're sort of talking about etiquette, uh, especially obviously you know as, as Europeans as we are, we know that these are skills that evolved over the last three hundred plus years from the Palais of Versailles and, and Louis the Fourteenth, and much of the roots are similar. Obviously, they've they've evolved over time towards you know they've, they've modernized and. Uh, some things have fallen by the wayside, but of course, you know there are skills um, that were handed down to us by our parents, grandparents. Um, I'm sure at some stage, Johnny, you've had your your elbows wrapped for being on the uh, on the table. Um, correct. So, <laughs> and you were told off by scooping your peas onto your fork and and doing all those good things, which we we've, we've all been there. Um, and of course, you know, for Chinese people, they've not had that longevity in terms of those skills being able to be handed down. So, so you know, it, it lends itself for ourselves to be able to teach them in that in that uh, in that skill. Um, but obviously, uh, they also like the, the historical aspect, because obviously Chinese people can understand that if something's lasted for 300 years, it must work. Yeah, per se, um, and and obviously they like the the romantic side of things like Versailles. They like the 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 pomp and the the sort of ceremony of things like you know Buckingham Palace and you know banqueting and and all those you know nice glitzy, glamorous things, um, because as. You, <laughs> As you know, you know the, in, in the historical, you know, China still had that history, but, you know, in, in the, the days of the kings and queens, etc., cetera, at, uh, at the Forbidden City. So, you know, it's, again, it's, it's a bit of a blast back to a, to a bygone era, um, just coming from a, a slightly different angle. So, you know, Chinese people can tune into that very well and very easily. You know it's it's a very romantic period now, obviously that's why most of our uh, audience are ladies <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because they, they like that kind of thing um but also it's something that they can identify with quite easily you
2: know? mm-hmm. i think um it's it's definitely true that china has a lot of etiquette rules itself and it's just um, absolutely how, how i see it, is the rules of the game are just different which is why i guess when you train people in the in the western way you give them the real confidence to go and um, you know, integrate more quickly into society and do things like go to nice restaurants. What are the? What are um, You know, so in a Chinese dinner, for example, where the, who sits opposite the door and opposite them, when you who you cheers in what order, how high your glass is when you cheers them, all those kind of things are, are very important. Um, what are some of the things do you think that foreigners struggle with going to China in terms of etiquette? Well, funny enough, actually, I I always
1: tend to show a a bit of an excerpt video that uh, that I actually picked up off the internet, Uh, and you'll be able to you'll be able to identify with this one hundred percent. And basically, is uh, is some foreign people they've been invited to dinner by some Chinese hosts. The food's been um, served onto the lazy Susan in the middle of the table. And the foreign people have basically picked a dish each and started eating all the food to themselves. <laughs> and all the Chinese hosts are left with nothing left to eat. <laughs> so, um, I mean, yeah, yeah it's, it's a little bit extreme. But, of course, you know, these are kind of real things. That if, and, and, the, and I always say to, 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 to students, you know, as a host, that's for you to basically brief your guests as to what the social norms are within your country. You know, otherwise that basically makes you a, a poor host. I mean, obviously, you don't necessarily have to try and create an expert within five minutes. You know, but if, if people are doing something that's if it's if it's a minor faux pas, just let it ride, okay? Because you know, if you pick everybody up for every little detail, you know, they'll they'll be too paranoid to even enjoy their dinner. You know, um, but obviously, if it's if it's a huge cock up then quickly point that out to them and say you've, I wouldn't necessarily do that in future um, otherwise you know they're just going to carry on doing it and and, and and all their other hosts in, in other situations are going to think what's with this guy <laughs> but I say that, that's the beauty of etiquette because every country every culture has its own nuances um, and in fact you know that's for me you know that's part of the fun uh and the intrigue that that surrounds you know this industry because you're always learning something mm-hmm. I mean you know fact. you know I mean whilst obviously while COVID's been on and we you know obviously you know business has been pretty um quiet um you know I spent a lot of time sat down with my library of books and, and pouring through different things and and even you know A, brushing up skills or brushing up knowledge and also discovering some new things that I I didn't know before. You know, so that's part of the beauty of this job. You will never know everything,
0: you know. I think we can, me and Anthony can both relate to that. So, I mean, what would you reckon would be, so the foreign business person is is arriving at the airport, they don't know anything about China, but they, they've they done the first step, which is that they know that they know nothing. So that's that's always the, <laughs> the best first step anybody can take, I think. But like, well, what do you reckon, okay? People are often nervous about this stuff. So what would be your advice um, about how they should kind of, any like particular do's and don'ts or more just a kind of mindset and attitude towards their experience in China?
1: The, the, the thing is, yeah, I mean, certainly, I mean, I mean, certainly my own, I can, I can tell you from my own experiences, you know, in, in some ways, you know, China is not particularly good at marketing itself. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, you know, when I first um, was looking at coming over to China, um, you know i i had, I had this idea that that Beijing was a lot of people walking around with gray suits and the old road bicycles
0: Right. Yeah.
1: You no know, um because and this was just the mental picture that I had you know it wasn't anything you know derogatory or 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 pointed against to anybody. it was just this picture that I had you know. And of course, I I, I arrived at, uh, uh, at Beijing Terminal Three, which of course was the new terminal for the two thousand and eight Olympics. You know, and and the the door opened on my on my BA seven forty seven from Heathrow, and I went, "Oh my lord!" <laughs> <laughs> look at this, look at this, and then you know, transiting into the city where you're passing skyscrapers and you know ultra modern buildings um, and things like that. I'm thinking, this isn't quite the communist country that i was expecting I you know that's a very and common think,
0: first impression
1: yeah yeah really um i mean you know when when i was back in the uk uh, the earlier earlier part of last year i was talking to some family uh, and they they'd uh, they visit in China they visit in China on quite a few different occasions and they've been to the, the the popular places if you will so they've done Beijing and Shanghai and Xi'an, et etc mm-hmm. and I always say to people you know if you're going to come to China obviously do the cities but then go jump on a train and then just go explore because it's a fascinating country. Um, I mean, like last uh, October for the um, Mid Autumn Festival, uh, I went over to Gansu, which is obviously the, the kind of northwest direction. Amazing, uh, yeah. Well, best I was exploring the, the other end of the Great Wall because we've got We've got the eastern end of the, ba- the, of the, the Great Wall um, in Beijing and just outside of Beijing, and I went to investigate the west end of the wall, and, uh, and incredible, and and the. And the beauty is you know this is like thousands of years of culture and history etc and you can touch it you can feel it you can in some ways you can stand on it um, so it really kind of puts you more into um, in touch with reality scenario it also t- starts to make you realize you know just how big China is because it's huge. Um, but also the fact that, you know, there's a lot more to China than being outside the, the concrete and steel of the big cities. A lot, lot more. Um, so that's why I say to people, you know, first opportunity you get, you know, arrive into Beijing, do whatever you're going to do in Beijing or Shanghai or Guangzhou, etc. But do yourself a favor and go and explore rural China. Because that's where you come across, you know, things like the the minority cultures, you know, things like, um, you know, things like the uh, the Miao minority um, people, like the um, who are the the Bai people in in Yunnan, you know, yeah, you know, uh, yeah and you know the, these these cultures they've they've been they've been largely unchanged for you know, a thousand plus years, you know. Um, and it's fascinating. And say even after 10 years, you know, was, yes, I mean obviously, you know, COVID has been a, an exceptional circumstance where everybody's being restricted. That's just one of those things. But um, well, I'd say, you know, the 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 opportunities that you get, the there's China's a fascinating country and it never ceases to amaze me even after all this time, you
0: know. Mm-hmm. And do you have any other I, the only other thing i was gonna ask is about like um kind of recommendations or whatever but um how about for for yourself if the, i don't know if you have any other well, questions
1: well yeah like you say i mean your previous question for anybody coming to china and and they're not sure what to expect best thing to do is like don't listen to people's preconceived ideas you know because obviously you know if you look at things like media it always paints a negative picture hmm. Uh, you know, especially if you if if you if if, if you to be a you know anywhere in the US and you were listening to Mr. Trump's, you know, China hating campaigns, you know, you would think you know that China's basically out to try and you know o- almost occupy the world, which of course it's not. It just wants to be recognised as its own independent power, which is doing very very well. Um, so I said to anybody that was even thinking about China. Don't listen to the preconceptions. Make up your own mind. Um, Basically, buy a ticket, jump on a plane, and come and make your own mind up. And you'll find that it's totally different to what media perceptions broadcast, you know? As you you know, you've been in China, you know. um, Certainly, you know, Beijing is probably the safest city I've ever been to. I mean, the amount of times... You know, I've left my phone in the back of a taxi, mm-hmm. um, and I always get the ta- I always get the little uh, 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 pyow, the, the ticket from the taxi, um, and we've rung up the taxi company. And ten minutes later, the taxi driver has brought my phone back. You know, if that was New York, you would never see your phone again. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I once left a camera, um, my SLR, on a taxi in Fujo, um, and I didn't get a piao. I didn't have a receipt um and I spoke to my to our manager in the office so I've completely I've just left my SLR on the taxi um so I'm, I'm just guessing that's gone and she's like no not necessarily so we went down the local taxi office and they said okay what what color taxi was it and I said it was a green one I'm like okay well that's not a good thing because 80% of taxis in Fujo are green so that doesn't help us much that's like now it's down to like 20,000 taxis uh, but then they said where did you get the taxi and I was like well I was around this area and they went on a map and they said what time roughly and I said around this time and they said where did you um that narrowed it down into like eighty taxis, and they said, "Where did you get dropped off at?" So I told the area, and then from that, they narrowed it down to a single taxi. I phoned the guy up, who's like, "Oh, let me look. Yeah, I've got it. Come pick it up." It's just amazing. Unbelievable. It's just I amazing. Really, it's, it's just it's mind blowing. Um, what?
1: What? I mean, on similar kind of context, you know, when we had the uh, the second wave, was at a fruit and vegetable market just outside of Beijing, in uh, in Daxing district. Um, and I'd been to, uh, I'd been to Ikea um, for, for something not particular. It's not particularly important. what. Um, but I, I'd, I'd been in my, I'd been in my car and I'd been a, a, through the, the ring road system of Beijing to get to Ikea. Uh, and I got home and within 30 minutes of arriving home, I had a phone call from the police going, have you been to that fruit vegetable market? I'm going like, Uh, no. And he goes, well, we know that you've been there because your phone's told us. (laughs) And I'm going, "Uh, (laughs) you know, we get that draining feeling of going like, well, I'm going to deny something, but obviously somebody knows something that I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But what had actually happened was that my car had actually been past the market on on the freeway. Hmm. Uh, and I the, bet they'd actually picked it up from that, obviously, you know, through the big data and the, uh, and that on the, from my phone sim. And they were able to download it that quick. Now, it, but the thing is, you know, if you look at that through conventional Western eyes, people would be freaking out. They'd be going like, you know, that's invasion of my privacy mm-hmm. and blah, 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 blah. And oh, my God, you know, they'd be up in arms. They'd be going absolutely crazy. Whereas to me, I was thinking, like, that actually made me feel so much safer. You know, the fact that, you know, these systems are in place. Um, I mean, you, you look at data management, etc. In, in whatever way you, you take that personally. But to me, I was thinking, like, you know, if the government where, knows where I am at any one time and they can control these situations at that kind of speed, that's a really good thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they, and that's it's that kind of mentality of um, you know giving a little bit of your I guess civil liberties up for the collective in China, which is quite I guess you know it being collective society why they're so much more willing to go down that route and oh, enable yeah. that to
1: happen. Yeah, you're quite right. Cause I mean, you know, when you know of the of the last year, I mean, certainly, you know, I mean, it's easy for me to say because I've been here for like virtually all the way through the the episode. Um, you know, and as soon as the government people, uh, the government turned around to people here said, like, you need to wear a mask, people put them on. And they didn't take them off. You know, whereas, you know, when you look at, and when I look at things like news articles in the UK, you know, even the other day, you know, they had the the, the celebrations for Rangers uh, winning the Scottish title. Um, yes, celebration. Was there a mask in sight? Not a single one. You know, so the thing is, you know, People can sit there and they can complain and they can malign and they can compare, etc. And I, I hate comparing it at the best of times because different cultures, you know, and different governments, etc., have different ways in which they um, administer their systems, which is fine. You know, but the thing is, you know, obviously, in, in terms of China, you know, how it's managed the situation has been fast, it's been very effective. It's not been painless by all means. In others, but the thing is, you know, when the, when they originally locked down, they did it dramatically well, uh, and it and it's obviously reaped benefits. You know. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Final question. So, absolutely. in terms of you have been in China for over ten years, you've successfully built up a, a business and a, and a personal brand as well. So, what would be your advice to any companies or individuals who are looking to do the same thing
1: so china well as anthony knows you know <laughs> uh, china can be a difficult market um you know the the the, the but saying that you know if people uh, subscribe to things like linkedin there's myriad information on LinkedIn as to what to expect in China. One thing that people can expect, it is not a get-rich-quick scheme. Mm. You know, you, you need to be, in some ways, you need to move far more on the ball in China than you do in, in any other country. Uh, because Chinese consumers are difficult to please. Their expectations are incredibly high. Um and likewise, obviously, you know they they're well aware of things like um, reviews and the 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 weight that their reviews can carry. So if you don't perform, you can absolutely guarantee you're going to get a negative review. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but people can kind of look at that in in different ways. You know, a negative review can either be you've done something really bad, or we want you to assure us. That you can do what you say that you can do, and so it, it, I say it depends how people kind of take complaints. You know, to me, obviously, um, you know, if people turn around to me and complain and says, you know, something's not particularly useful. Well, I'll, I'll basically offer them, you know, a place on the next course, and we will obviously take that feedback on board and we make the necessary adjustments or we integrate the, the, the suggestions that people have. So instead of just having standardized courses, if you will, we always very closely liaise with our clients because most of what I do nowadays is bespoke anyway. Okay. I I sit, I sit down with the potential customer and go like, "What do you want? You know, what are your objectives? What are your ambitions? What do you see? Where do you see yourself?" Um, and basically, I put something together that is geared towards their objectives. And then if they complain, I say, well, that's what you told me you wanted. <laughs> Just
0: get it in writing, I guess. That's that's rules of life in general. Yeah,
1: jo- joking, <laughs> joking apart, joking apart. But, um, uh, but yeah, certainly it, it's a very, um, Chinese consumers are very uh, touch oriented. They like a lot of touch points. Um, Now, obviously, you know, when you think of things like uh, a standard in in inverted brackets, Western business relationship, it's transactional. So I've got a product, you want it, you give me some money, I sell it to you and, and I may never, ever see you again. You know, whereas in China, it's very much relationship based. You know, so Chinese people, they want to create a relationship with your brand. You know, the so they will spend a lot of time researching your brand. They will, they will probably know your brand better than you do at some point, um, because they'll know what you're involved with. They'll look, they'll, you know, your, your. They'll, they'll also ask their, their, their Gwansi, their network, which is obviously a, a people of, a, a network of people with influence. You know, so they they will take those kind of. Um, inputs and, and basically look uh, feed that into their decisions of whether they wish to, to uh, transact with you or not. Um, and then they also like uh, Chinese people like a lot of free things <laughs> they, like, well, they, they like you see that
0: they,
1: when you say free things I mean that's a bit of a, a glib way of looking at it. you know they like sweeteners and they like for you to develop the relationship with them. And so they would like, uh, you know, if you can offer, you know, uh, it's like buy one, but we'll give you a small sweetener, you know, buy buy a large bottle of wine, we'll send you a small one for free or, you know, buy, you know, something that basically gives them a good feeling about you that their business will be valued. That's, that's what they like. And the beauty is because once you establish that relationship, they will come back for more, and they will bring their friends and their friends' friends, and then you know very quickly your your network will develop, you know, into quite a um, an extensive pattern because this si word that I that I threw can be a very intricate web of of influence, and it goes into all sorts of different channels, and it obviously can be quite extensive as well, mm. you know. So if you you know kind of become a a figure who's trusted within this Guanxi network, then almost everybody will come to you within that network. So that's, um, and and that can be quite difficult for foreigners to understand. It's not transactional as in, I've got something, you give me some money, I send it to you. End of relationship. Absolutely not for Chinese people. No, they want to develop the relationship first, and then you'll get the business.
2: I think that's, so, that's such an important lesson. And that's why, like you said, it's not a get-rich-quick scheme in China. And oh God, traction, no. traction oh, doesn't work. In the same way, West just kind of often get almost like a linear traction of growth as you build contracts and transactions. And as
1: you know yourself, you know, things like when you're doing marketing, you know, your, your marketing in China is so important, mm. you know, and, and especially, you know, when you... I mean, I was talking to, a, to a, a a colleague in London, probably about four years ago now. So it's quite a while. And he's going like, yeah, I want to, to do some business with Chinese people. I'm going, yeah, yeah, great. Uh, I said, well, I was, by all means, you know, I can try and help you with that. He goes, I've got this great new website. I'm going, well, I said, I don't want to disappoint you, but nobody in China uses a website now. He's going, like, what? He goes, yeah, we don't use websites. They're too last year. And he's going like, uh, right. So what what do I need? That's the way you need, you know, people who are quite savvy on content marketing. You need to create things like, you know, we chat subscription channels, you need to create push feeds, you know, things like a web page would be really useful in Chinese. And it's going like, uh, we'll just stick with the Arabs. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but but people don't realize that, you know, they think because a lot of Chinese people there, they can communicate or they're quite confident in speaking English that they can just basically walk in and, and also just go off the strength of their brand. Absolutely wrong. You know, even people like Rolls-Royce, they still have to localize their marketing. Um, Ferrari is a bit of a different story because everybody aspires to things like Ferrari or Lamborghini. <laughs> down. Um, but, you know, that's just a, a, an example that, you know, you need to be very, very integrated. And obviously in China, because everything is, uh, is digitized now. Um, and as you know, obviously, you know, when things like the, the travel situations improve, you know, there's been the announcement for the British government that they're looking to uh, get rid of uh, duty free. I mean, that's a huge market for Chinese people. And that's one of the biggest reasons why they come to the UK, that they're going to get their tax back on the products. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you you were to stand in the duty-free claims queue at Heathrow, you'd probably find 40% of that queue are all Chinese people. I've been
2: in that queue with my Chinese fiance many times while she's (laughs) getting the tax back.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so you you know that. It's a big attraction for people. Um, And also, you know, they like the they like the feeling of Western brands, you know, because they they associate Western brands with luxury. Although obviously with COVID more and more Chinese brands are coming to the fore, um, you know, and now they're starting to be able to compete on a relatively even playing field, which is a really good thing, you know, especially when it comes to things like the EV market and electric cars, you know, China's soaring ahead. Um so you know that's saying when it comes to to our kind of domain, um, you know the fact that this uh, growth is is still progressively moving in China and, and obviously progressing in in an upward scale, it, it lends itself that people will want to be more socially skilled and they will want to be more in touch, um, you know, with their global power as uh, as it moves forward again. Yeah, absolutely
0: um thanks a lot alistair and yeah thanks for your time and how if people want to know what you're up to you know how can uh, look more about your business and learn more about what you you're doing what's the best way for people to do that
1: uh
0: well by all means
1: um i mean i i mean it sounds old-fashioned but i got a website <laughs> um, but what i tend to do is i tend to put most of my stuff uh, either on I, I post some things on linkedin Um, But that tends to be more about things like um, articles that are more geared towards things like uh, quotations, etc. Excuse me, quotations, you know, to get people thinking. Half of what we do is basically getting people to think, because one of my buzzwords is we want people to be a better version of the person they were before. Yeah. and then let's say, you know, I put a lot of stuff onto um, uh, WeChat as well. Because we, WeChat is, is obviously the predominant factor uh, here, in, um, here in China. Although we've tended to do, we, we have quite a, an active um, Douyin account or TikTok. So I've got about 700, 720,000 fans on TikTok. Nice.
2: I'll be fine on TikTok, guys. That's a great place to start.
1: It's uh, E-E-A dash Alistair.
2: Amazing.
1: So that's Echo Echo Alpha dash, uh, underscore, not dash, underscore Alistair. That's A-L-I-S-T-A-I-R. Um, and you'll find, I say, we just put some relatively simple videos on there. Because um, one, one thing that I'm obviously very keen on is, you know, to, to get people away from this old stuffy um you know, etiquette is only for like really rich people, total misconception. Now etiquette's for anybody who basically wants to be a better version of themselves. I mean, one of our biggest um, catchment areas or demographics are middle-income white collar workers who want to assert themselves more, Um, you know, they like travel, they like going to different countries and they want to be able to absorb some of the culture in the different countries that they go to, you know. Great and energy. obviously, they also want their children to be better as they go through the schooling system as well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant.
0: Well, Asta, I uh, will I guess, end the interview then. Thank you so much for your time. Thank Anytime. you. Arthur. Thanks for listening to China Chit Chat. We hope you enjoyed the show and we hope to see you next time. If you like the show, please leave us a review and recommend us to your friends. This will be really helpful. You can also follow us on Instagram. For more information on ADN import foods, visit adnimports.com. And for more information on Opportunity China, visit opportunity-china.com. Thanks a lot and see you next time.